Hey, everybody. How you doing? Uh, my name is Pat Tedeschi. I'm one of the pastors here, and um, you probably have no idea, some of you, who I am, because I haven't even been here. Um, but I have a little bit of cred, street cred, because my son is the worship guy, and my other son is... Hi. <laughs> oh, my nephew-in-law is here. My good friend Steve was the MC. I think maybe you were the best part of the evening. Just, well, <laughs> um, and my, uh, my other son, Jacob, was on the blue team, right? Green. Sorry. Okay. Great. So anyway, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for... What's been the best part so far? Foosball? Foosball? What about Thunderdome? I heard that that was really good. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, well, I, I did have a pulled pork sandwich. That was kind of good, so. All right, so we're going to be looking at John 7, verses 37 to 39. So if you have your Bible, you can look there. Or uh, I think it's going to be up on the screen. Yeah, here it is. So it reads, On the last day... That great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And, whoever believe, and he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus would not yet glorify. Let's pray together. Our Father, um, thank you for giving us uh, your word. Thank you for giving us Jesus. Thank you for the fact that um, we need to hear it and that we get to hear it tonight. And so work through our time together that our spirits would indeed be ready to receive what you have to say as personally for each one of us. And then to seriously consider what that means for us tonight, tomorrow as we leave, and in the days ahead. Work in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So up on the screen, I think it's going to be a, picture, a really great picture of a, a flowing river. When you see that... Um, what are some words that you might use to describe uh, what you're seeing there? This idea of a, of a river uh, a, a, or flowing river, living water. What, what are some words that you see that and you think, I think it describes these things. What are some words you would use to describe that? Anybody? Raise your hand so it doesn't all, uh, you know, all shatter once. Yes. Beautiful. Good. Constant. What do you say? What do you say? Thirsty. thirsty makes him thirsty. Good. Okay. What else? Anybody else? Huh? Refreshing. Yes. Good. Anything else? Louder? You need it to live. These are all great, 
great descriptions of what you're seeing. Things like refreshment, growth, constancy, life, uh, purpose, enjoyment, energy, beauty, direction, and purpose, right? And so the question then is, if Jesus says that we can have rivers of water flowing from us, these things that you described, how does that happen? That's what I hope that we're going to discover in the passage tonight. To help us better understand what Jesus is getting at, the Apostle John kind of gives us the setting for, for the teaching, right? In verse 37, he tells us that it is the great day of the feast. Now, what, what is this feast that he's talking about? Earlier in uh, the chapter, in verse 2, we see that it is the Jewish feast or celebration of booths. It's called the, fe- the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths. So this was to remind the Jews of when God brought them. You might remember when God delivered the people out of Egypt, out of slavery, and brought them into the wilderness. And when they were in the wilderness, they had to live in booths or tents, kind of like you're living in right now. There in the wilderness. Now when Jesus shouts out about anyone being thirsty and coming to him to drink, it's full of meaning. Because of what thirst and drinking was a picture of for those Jews when they were in the wilderness. Now if you were wandering in the wilderness, in a desert, I don't know if you've ever been in a desert, but if you had been... And all you got are the clothes on your back. All you have are the shoes on your feet. What would you need most? You've been there for a couple days. Okay? What would you need most? Food and water. Right? Well, water was one of the great needs of the Jews while they were in the wilderness. And God miraculously provided that for them out of a rock. You might remember Moses spoke to the rock. Water came out. Another time he struck the rock. Water came out. Miraculously. Well, during the feast, there was this ritual where someone would take a picture, perhaps like that one over there, take a picture of water and bring it into the temple and pour it out as an offering to God. So this is maybe a little bit detailed, but I want you to pay attention because it's going to help you understand what's going on. Brings the pitcher into the temple, pours out the water. It was a picture of how God provided water for them in the wilderness. It was to remind them to keep trusting God to provide for them as he did in the wilderness. Especially to provide rain so that their land could actually grow the food, the crops that they would need. But it was also to help them look into the future. When God says he was going to send his spirit, he was going to pour out his spirit on his people, that is his blessing, his power, when his promised king, the Messiah, would come. And he would set up his kingdom where he would rule in the hearts of people, where he would deliver them from their enemies and give them peace and blessing. So this whole water thing, this whole thirsting, it's full of meaning, right? Water is also a picture of cleansing in the scripture. It's cleansing of our sins that we might have friendship with God, right? What, what does sin do? Sin separates us and alienates us from God but we need the cleansing water of God's grace to bring us into friendship with God again, to heal that, that broken relationship. So this cleansing water through faith in our hearts would bring life 
and fullness to everyone who would entrust themselves to God. So when Jesus makes this offer, now check this out, when he makes this offer to come to him and drink, it's as if he's saying this, you, you see everything that's going on in the feast? The symbols of provision, blessing, life, fullness, water. He's, he's saying, it's all about me. It all points to me. I am the rock that gave the water in the desert. I am the one who provided for their needs in the wilderness. I'm the one who's going to provide for your needs. I'm the one who cleanses and heals and brings life to deadness. I'm the one who's going to pour out my spirit into your hearts and make your lives full and satisfying and fruitful. This was all about Jesus. To have this life-giving water, we must come to Jesus and to him alone. Now, you might remember the story from the New Testament, Luke chapter 2, about the old prophet Simeon. Anybody remember that story? Right? This old guy, Simeon, this old prophet, he goes into the temple, and God had promised, here's why he went in, God had promised Simeon that he would not die until he saw the Messiah, God's promised king. And when Jesus is just, I think maybe just eight days old, he come, now, that's when he was circumcision. It was a little bit after that. So just a few weeks old. He, he comes with his parents into the temple to present him to the Lord. And when Simeon sees the baby Jesus, he knows he's the one. He's the one that God has promised. And then Simeon takes Jesus in his arms. And look what he says. He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory for your people, Israel. You understand what he's saying here? He's saying, Lord, I've seen your, I've seen your salvation. I can die happy. I can die in peace. I'm satisfied. When... when your king, your, your salvation, this Messiah is presented to all the peoples, all the nations. And when people would believe in him, they will also find life and be satisfied in him. So here in John 7, Jesus is offering anyone who comes to him the things that satisfied Simeon's thirst. He's offering himself. So Jesus says, if you are thirsty, you. Well, let me ask you this real quick. What, what, what does he mean by thirsty? What does thirsty indicate? What are some words that come to your mind when you think of someone's thirst? Anybody? Okay, dehydrated and you want something, right? You are desirous of something, yes. Somebody over there? Dry mouth. So you still, you need something to satisfy it, right? The idea is desiring something so that you are satisfied. Okay, a number of years ago, I was uh, doing a fast, a cleansing fast. It wasn't anything super spiritual. I was just trying to like clean toxins out of my body. And... Um, this is not so much about thirst, it's about hungering, right? But one day, I'm, I'm kind of nearing the end of the fast, and I drank some really lousy 
you know, vegetable juice in the morning and then some lousy tea. And I went for a walk with my sons when they were little and we were pushing them in the carriage. And as I'm pushing in the carriage, I'm kind of getting like weak in the knees and I'm, I'm getting like really exhausted and I'm like, I gotta have something, right? And my, the fast wasn't gonna be over till five that night, it's 10 in the morning. And I'm like, I, I, I think I need something. And my wife was like, just eat something. Because I was desiring, I was so longing, craving for something to satisfy me. Anybody ever felt like that? And I went home and I had an orange. And I was happy. Then I had some pasta and I'm Italian, so that made me really happy. Then I had some cereal and I was really, really happy. The idea of the thirst... The thirst, right, is, or the hunger, is I'm longing for, I'm desiring, I'm craving something. That's what he's talking about here. If you're thirsty. So Jesus says, is your soul thirsty, craving, longing, desiring something? Something that people and stuff and ambitions and, and efforts can never give you. If you're thirsty like that and you know you know it's a thirst for God, a thirst for forgiveness, so you can have reconciliation, a thirst for life and a meaningful existence, ultimate satisfaction. Jesus says, come to me, and I will make rivers flow out of you. Jesus is saying, I'm the one that can satisfy all your hungering, thirsting desires of your soul. And we have them, don't we? Now, in verse 37, we see that Christ's invitation to, to, about thirsting and coming, it goes out to everyone. He just kind of throws it out there, right? But it's only going to be received by certain people. Why? Because there's a condition. And it's not that you're good enough, right? Because I don't even know you guys, but I know you're not good enough. It's not that you're smart enough. It's not that you're attractive enough, goodness knows that. It's not that you're talented enough. It's not even that you're likable enough and just an all-around good guy or girl. The condition is, up on the screen, you must be thirsty. You must be thirsty. Everyone thirsts for something. Remember what thirst for? Longing, craving, desiring, right? Everybody thirsts for something. Happiness, meaning, success, Entertainment, sex, popularity, acceptance, significance, money. Why is that? Why do we have all those thirsts? It's because God lets us thirst for other unsatisfying pleasures so that we must see that there's got to be more and that our, that our thirsts can only be satisfied in Jesus. This is what John Piper says up on the screen. We are afflicted and blessed with chronic restlessness. Chronic means ongoing, continuous. We are afflicted and blessed with a chronic restlessness, an insatiable soul thirst for this reason, that we might keep looking until we find Christ. And then having found him, we might be turned back to him again and again when we taste of other springs, other supposed pleasures, when we taste of those springs and we find that they're bitter. We keep going back to Christ. Keep going back to Christ. 
sometimes when Christians talk about the joy and the fulfillment and satisfaction they have in Jesus, people might, it's happened to me, right? I'm talking, I'm telling people about Jesus and they're like, oh, that's nice. Or, well, that's good for you. Or some people might be like, man, isn't that a shame? So much to offer. That guy had so much to offer and he settles for this. Poor guy. Those who don't know Jesus will often think Christians are foolish. Um, because they don't realize that their own thirst is for God also. They thirst after other things thinking those things will satisfy them. And they don't see that their real thirst, their great need is for God. And, and people need to see that. People need to understand that. God wants them to know. God wants you to know. But being thirsty is not enough. There has to be a response for the thirsty person. You must come. Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me. That sounds pretty simple, right? Like, well, what does that look like in coming to Jesus? Well, think of it this way. You guys been to the boardwalk? In Ocean City, right, the boardwalk. So, like, when I'm on the boardwalk with my wife, my kids, whatever, and I'm walking along, and all of a sudden I'm like, I smell Johnson's popcorn. And I'm like, it's calling me. And so I start walking toward Johnson's popcorn. Or this happens on the promenade. It's like a food court area. I go there and I, I can smell the stromboli. Again, it's an Italian thing, right? So I, I smell the stromboli or the pizza and I'm like, whew, that's calling me, honey. I got to go get some. And I go toward, I come to the pizza, right? It's all, it's, all it, it's all it means, right? You see something valuable, you smell something good, and you make your way toward it. Now, somebody might be sitting over there that I don't know, that I don't know anything about and he looks a little dodgy, a little sketchy. That's my kid's word. And they'd be like, hey, come over here. And I'm like, mm -mm, I don't know you. But if Jesus was there and he says, Pat, come to me, I would make my way down those stairs so fast and run to Jesus. You know why? Because I've heard his call. I've seen my need that only he can meet. I've been told about his death from the payment for my sin, that he is my hope for forgiveness and peace with God, that he will cover my shame. You know what? I didn't grow up in a Christian home. We went to church. It was not a good church. It was not a faithful church. It meant nothing to me. And I did to my shame whatever I wanted. And my life was just a path of destruction behind me. Hurting my own soul and hurting other people's soul. And so when I heard that Jesus was willing to forgive someone like me, I was like, yes, that's what I need. And so that's why I would run to Jesus. I saw his forgiveness. I saw his value, his beauty, his excellency. 
I was so attracted to him and his goodness that, that I couldn't help myself. I would have to go to him. It's like the pizza, right? It smells good. It looks good. I know it's going to satisfy me. I'm going to go. That's what Jesus does, only way, way better. But to come to him, we must see him clearly. We must see him as he really is. Some, some people have a spiritual thirst, right? But they don't necessarily try to quench that thirst by, by coming to Jesus, by going to him. Because they haven't seen him clearly. And they haven't seen their own need clearly. They might even be turned off to Jesus because some professing Christians, their lives don't really match what they say they believe. If that's you, if, if you're a professing Christian and your life doesn't really match what you say you believe, Jesus says, don't, don't continue in that way. Be, be an honest, authentic Christian of integrity so that people would see something of me in you. But, but that's what happens sometimes. People, people see inauthentic Christians, right? And they might get turned off. They might have a wrong understanding of Jesus' teaching. Or maybe they're just unaware of who Jesus really is or they're deceived. I had a, a, a friend. He, was, he grew up Muslim. He was from Palestine. I was a missionary in London for a couple years to Muslims. And, and this, he, became, he professed faith in, in Christ with me. And he said, why don't you come to, to Palestine with me? Why don't you come? Because I'm sure 90% of the people there don't know what you've taught me about Jesus because they've been taught a lie. They've been taught something about Jesus that wasn't true. They've been deceived. So people might know something about Jesus, but to come to him, they have to see him clearly. And since he's not with us, how are we going to see him? We have to see him in the word, in the scripture. Through reading it, or through a teaching, or a sermon, or a verbal testimony of a believer, to come to him means we have to come to him through his word to discover who he is there, what the word is saying about them. So, thirsting is not enough. Coming is not enough. There must be clear, clear uh, uh, clarity about Jesus in order to come. But lastly, there must be drinking. You must drink, right? Say you're in a desert. No water. Couple, another, another couple days you're in the desert. And you come to an oasis with this beautiful pool. You, you haven't had water for at least a day. And you come and you see the water and you are parched. You run to it. You're really thirsty. And you go to the spring and you sit down and you start playing in the sand. The water does you no good unless you drink it. For Jesus to drink is to believe. To believe who he is and what he offers. Because he says in verse 38... He who believes in me, because he says, come and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture says. That's the parallel there. And so to believe is to say, God, I, I can't quench my soul thirst for forgiveness and fullness of life. I can't quench it with my goodness. I can't quench it by going to youth camp or going to church or following really cool youth leaders or pastors. And we've got some cool ones here. 
And all those are good things. They're all necessary. But I can't drink or believe through that. I can only do it by entrusting myself fully to Jesus. And then Jesus says this amazing thing. He says, when we drink him in by faith, out of our hearts will flow these rivers of living water. In verse 39, it says that refers to the Holy Spirit. So he's talking about the power of the Spirit, the presence of the Spirit in every believer's life, and the blessing of the Spirit. Check this out. You know what blessing means? When God gives his good gifts to you. But it also means another thing. It means happiness. Deep happiness. Everybody wants to be happy, right? Everybody, right? That's what's going to happen to those who thirst and come and drink. And because these rivers of water are flowing out, right, it means you don't keep it to yourself. The young lady prayed about it earlier, that we would would be a blessing to other people, right? It's, It's meant to go out into the lives of others. And so this is the experience of every true Christian. They thirst, they come, they drink, out of them rivers flow. So what are you thirsty for? Everybody thirsts for something. Are you thirsty for him? For real pleasure, deep pleasure, deep meaning beneath the surface pleasure? Look at what it says in Psalm 1611. Look what is offered to us. You make known to me the paths of life. You want to know how to live? You want to know the right way to live? God says, I'll show you. He says, because in your presence is fullness. That means abundance. All the fullness you can get. Fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And it's not just pleasures when we go and die and go to heaven. It's the pleasures of tasting him now. Experiencing him even now. Now listen, there's going to be sadness in the world. Sometimes it's just hard to follow Jesus. I used to do prison ministry, and um, this guy named Elvis was there. And he would say, this Jesus thing is not easy. He was right. But it's the best thing that we can ever have. So there's going to be sadness. There's going to be difficulty, right? Because there's still sin in the world. We still struggle with sin. But there will be real deep peace and joy, even if there's some tears mingled with it. But the joy begins now for everyone who thirsts, who comes, and who drinks. Any pleasure, any supposed pleasure or joy you have now outside of Jesus, listen to me, listen, it'll never last. I tried it all. All of it. And it didn't satisfy. Now, some of it felt pretty good at the time. Got to be honest, right? There's, there's a lot of pleasures and things that we can enjoy. But you cannot find ultimate peace, satisfaction, and joy in any of those things. It begins with Jesus. It lasts now and forever. Now, now you might be thinking to yourself, okay, 
uh, all right, this sounds good. Um, I think maybe I really want that. Um, but where, where, where do I start? Like, how do, how, how do I make that happen? Two things I'm going to, how, how am I doing on time? I'm good. Okay, two things. Bricker and broccoli. Write them down. Bricker and broccoli. Okay, Bricker refers to my friend, old friend named David Bricker. So I told you I was a missionary in London, and um, uh, uh, th this new missionary, Bricker, uh, joined our team after I was there for about six months, and I did not like him. He irritated me. He acted like he was a know-it-all, and uh, he was a little arrogant. And I didn't want to hang out with him. I didn't want to get to know him. But for some reason, he wanted to hang out with me. And I, I honestly, I don't know why. And he kept asking me to do ministry stuff with him, like to be his evangelism partner. And I just kept saying, well, I was putting him off. I, I wouldn't say no directly. I was like, ah, oh, now I got to do this. Now I got to do that. And you can only say that for so long. He kept asking me, and finally I had to say yes. And as I began to spend time with him and got to know him, I saw something of his character behind that supposedly know-it-all exterior. Um, he was a lot of fun. We hung out together. We enjoyed good food together and movies. He, he really cared about people. He loved Jesus. He wanted other people to know about Jesus. And he showed me a lot of grace and kindness. Um, and the more time I spent with him, the more I grew to love and appreciate David Bricker. He became my best friend there. So what's the point? If you don't spend much time with Jesus discovering what he's really like, um, his beauty, his excellence, his worthiness, if you don't spend much time with him, it'll be hard to uh, really know him and enjoy him or even just to come and believe in him. So this happens, this spending time with Jesus happens in three primary ways. These are, these are like the Sunday school answers, but we're going to think about this a little bit, right? So it happens through reading about him, praying or talking to him, and being with, experiencing him with God's people. Those are the Sunday school answers, right? Reading the Bible, praying, going to church. All right. The key is, how do you approach those things? I got to do it. Ah, I'm not getting anything out of it. So my, my son Justin over here, what are you, 22 now, right? When you were about, I don't remember, it was like 13, 12, 13, 14. He said, so we encouraged our kids to have their own uh, Bible reading time. And he was like, Dad, I am not getting anything out of this. I'm trying. And I, 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 I don't know what to think about. And I said, maybe think of it this way that look at it as, as a letter God is writing to you, that he is, he's talking to you personally, and he wants you to understand something about him. So then, so read it as if he's writing it to you, and then, and then you can talk to him about it and say, well, God, this is what I think this means, and I'm not sure I understand this, and I don't know if I really believe that, but would you help me? And all of a sudden, Bible reading goes from being this duty, this drudgery, to a living, active, 
breathing relationship with God Almighty because that's what he gave his word to do so that we would know him and experience him and not just know stuff about him, right? Because we can get, we can read the Bible and it'd be like, okay, I learned about Jesus and we never interact with him about it at all. So use the word of God, approach the word of God as if he's talking to you, because he is, that's what he's doing, and then talk what you're reading about, what you're learning, talk it back to him. Begin and pray. And then come to church. Come to church, not with just the attitude like, okay, i got to go. But who can I encourage and help? I love the fact that some of you came up and prayed and shared because you're thinking about how you can encourage and spur others on. There's a book called How to Walk into Church, right? You know what it says? Go to church. As you're driving, start praying. Where do you want me to sit today, God? Why would that matter? So that I can encourage and, and, and maybe just get to know somebody and help them spur them on in their love for Jesus. It's all about how you, what your mindset is to those things and how you approach them. Okay, so that's, that's Bricker. Then there's broccoli. Sometimes I think we think following Jesus is a little bit like eating broccoli or whatever vegetable you don't really like. Right? We know it's good for us, but I could really leave it. There's not a whole lot of pleasure in it. Well, there was this experiment done a number of years ago, um, and, and there was a film made out of it called Supersize Me. Anybody hear that? I think it had to be 20. You remember that? Okay, but like 20 years ago or something. I don't remember everything about it, but the idea was that um, he wanted to see, this guy wanted to see if he could survive on eating McDonald's food every day, three times a day for a whole month. Because something got out by McDonald's, some, I don't know, some media thing that they put out, that eating their food was actually healthy for you. <laughs> Can you believe it? And so the guy was like, okay, let me, see if, let me see if that's true. So during the experiment, he would go to the doctor every week to get a checkup to see how he was doing physically, eating McDonald's food three times a day. And I think after about three weeks, the doctor said, listen, your liver is turning into pure fat. It's like pate. You guys know what pate is? It's duck liver that's been ground up and you spread it on toast. He said, that's what your liver is becoming. So much for eating healthy McDonald's food. Um, so the doctor told him, he said, stop, don't do it anymore. But he kept doing it for another week, he finished, and he survived. Um, but if he kept going, it wouldn't have been good. So even if eating McDonald's is really tasty, if that's all you're living on, in the end, it's going to kill you. It might taste good, but it will do things to you that will cause your health and strength to break down. At some point, you have to make a decision. Am I going to keep eating the McDonald's or am I going to eat better? And so then you have to begin eating healthy foods like salads, chicken, avocado, toast, fruit, etc. And at first, you might be like, this is no fun. Give me a pizza. But then what happens? Your body actually begins to change and you develop new tastes. And then you actually begin to desire thirst for the things you didn't at first enjoy and they've actually become pleasurable to you the word for that is savoring you know when you eat something that's really good and you go mm. it means enjoying it fully 
coming to Jesus may not always be as pleasurable as a McDonald's supersized meal. But if you're coming to realize that what you've been longing for, the pleasures you've been going after, will actually ruin you in the end, and you begin to realize Jesus will satisfy your deepest thirst, which is what? To forgive your sins, to make you a child of God, to give you genuine and lasting pleasure, then he's calling you to go to him and drink and be satisfied. Not just like broccoli good, but like filet mignon and chocolate mousse good forever, and it's not going to kill you. So what are you thirsting for, really? Really? We thirst and hunger for those things that, in the world that can never satisfy. But if, but if you know your thirst is for him, he says, come and he will satisfy your soul and he'll make rivers of life meaning, value, satisfaction flow out of you and into the lives of others. That's a life worth having. And when we come to Jesus, he frees us to that. So come to Jesus, drink for his glory and your everlasting pleasure. Amen? Father in heaven, thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you for your mercy and grace. Grant us your favor, your help, the power of your spirit to not only come to you at the beginning. Maybe some tonight really haven't recognized their thirst. Maybe they are now and maybe they need to come and drink. Would you give them the grace to do that? But even for those who have come and have drunk, who still need to keep coming, Give us your help to keep doing that because the other springs, the other pleasures of life are bitter apart from you. Do this, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.